In the first two seasons of our podcast, I chatted with Kate Leone, a journalist, single mom, and world traveler. Kate had never taken a self-defense course before, and we figured her questions were probably your questions too. So if you've been following along all along, thanks for listening. You can keep up with Kate on her podcast at RestoriaTherapy.com. For this season, it seemed like a good time to change things up a bit. And the new theme song you're hearing, by the way, is an excerpt from a song called Icarus Wish by Berlin punk trio Dead Sentries, who also happen to be my neighbors, and who are generously letting me use this track, which you can also find on Bandcamp. Anyway, I thought it was time to head out into the world, virtually speaking, and talk to other women and men in the universe of self-defense, self-empowerment, and martial arts. I'm talking to old friends, new acquaintances, and complete strangers. Yes, I do talk to strangers, because I can defend myself. But I might hang up on them, too. We'll see. So, if you've stuck with us so far, keep listening, keep learning, keep laughing. You never know who we're going to talk to next. Well, I do. Welcome to episode 49 of the Pretty Deadly Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Serena Corovubius, a martial artist, a pretty deadly coach, and a filmmaker, actor, and rock geek. I know Serena from the dojo in Los Angeles where I trained. Finally, a person I've actually trained with. Serena and her husband, Kevin, joined the dojo about a year or so before I moved on, and it was really cool to see a couple so dedicated to learning the art together, both helping and pushing each other to grow. They're both black belts now, and both instructors, leading training groups around Los Angeles from their backyard to community centers to dojos. That's the thing about martial arts. Once you get bit by that bug, it's all can't stop, won't stop. A few years ago, Serena was diagnosed with mast cell syndrome, a chronic condition that produces severe allergic reactions in people where there were none before. And by severe, I mean difficulty breathing, rashes, hives, swelling, and on and on. Literally all the worst allergic reactions you can get, and often accompanied by fatigue, muscle aches, cramping, loss of appetite, just generally making it harder to live your life. But did Serena stop training ninjutsu? No, she did not. So I wanted to know how having a chronic illness affects training or how training affects chronic illness. Um, yeah, it's interesting because there is an impact. I can tell you even looking at other people who have my illness, um, I do knock on wood better than they do. I bounce back quicker. That's interesting. So because it's interesting because a friend of mine sent today on a WhatsApp group this paragraph from a book about emotional intelligence. Let's see if I can get it. It says, Robert Ader, a psychologist, discovered that the immune system, like the brain, could learn. Biological pathways, you know, I'm skipping over a bunch of stuff, biological pathways that make the mind the emotions and the body not separate, but intimately entwined. And I wrote her back and said, well, you know, in the world of trauma and uh, PTSD and, and the, the emotional side of the kinds of things that I do, that connection has, people have been aware of that connection for a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, and how the physical parts of our bodies can help affect 
either are affected by or can also help affect us release trauma. So it's a, that's an interesting point that you're making that, you know, you find that other people with a similar condition um, have a harder time bouncing back. Yeah. So let's, let's um, go back a little bit and tell me if you don't mind, if you can tell me a little bit more about your chronic illness. Yeah, well, um, so I have mast cell activation syndrome. Uh, it was a syndrome that was really only widely recognized starting in 2014, actually. Uh, and uh, it's, it's on the baby kind of end of the spectrum when it comes to our understanding of it. But uh, we think it's actually the cause of a lot of other syndromes like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, IBS, like it's actually MCAS. Mm -hmm. um, so what it is, is that it's a syndrome that affects your white blood cells. And mast cells are, are white cells that usually come in as, as the saviors of your system. Whenever anybody gets sick, the mast cells come up and help you. But for some people, what happens is they kind of get stuck in that helping mode and then they start attacking you or they start like trying to help you from touching cotton or something like that, right. something ridiculous. So they like to call it that they misbehave. Mm -hmm. And so what this does is it can cause all sorts of allergic reactions to things that you shouldn't have allergic reactions to like plastic. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it causes severe reactions. So you end up having to carry an EpiPen with you. You can go into anaphylaxis. Not everybody does, but some of us do a good majority of us do. Um, and it just kind of morphs. It's one of the most complicated diseases to treat because it shows up differently in everyone and trying to, um, medicate it can be difficult because then you start actually reacting to the medications or to the inactive ingredients of the medications. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not a fun disease to have as if any disease is fun, but um, it is because it's a newer disease, there's harder, it's harder to find people to treat them and it, it's harder to kind of get treatment for it. So a lot of our um, support comes actually in forms of Facebook groups where we kind of educate each other. And there's actually doctors who do hang out but don't comment so they can mm -hmm. learn more about the disease. Right, right. But I just got diagnosed mm, a little under a year ago. And it's quite uh, certain that I've had the disease my whole life, but it kind of went off the rails from not knowing that that's mm -hmm. what I had or, or adequately treating it actually. Mm -hmm. And so, but you still continue to train. Yeah, I do. I had to take a pause uh, when the symptoms got very, very bad. But throughout it, without knowing I had it, I kept training. And um, I think something interesting about training with something like this, something that even restricts you from being able to breathe, is that you learn how to move regardless of what's going on. You know, right. um, physical discomfort is just becomes the no white noise that's always mm -hmm. there. So even if you're in a position, so something I would notice is that like, I'd have to be careful because I could handle pain a lot better um, mm -hmm. than some of the other people I would train with. Like, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> a lot of guys are very jumpy with pain. They're very mm -hmm. squeamish with it. 
Um, but I noticed that even like amongst other women, um, I'd have to be careful because I could handle pain so much better. And then sometimes I would, you know, I'd go too far and I have to be like, wait, 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 <laughs> I need to mm -hmm. slow this down so I don't end up getting injured. Um, but it gave me a lot of compassion for people who um, don't have a good connection with their body. So when people would come in who had never trained before, never done anything, you know, like this, I could take time with them and understand that they were trying to connect with that part of their body in a way that that um, a very visceral understanding of that because I've had to start and stop so many times and relearn things so many times that I know that when it comes to doing things, kind of what the steps are to try and get your body to go there. Right, right. Do you think that um, your training has had any kind of effect on the disease itself for you, how you handle it? I mean, oh, so there's, the, there's the pain aspect of it, mm -hmm. of course, but um, you said a little bit like you think you bounce, you feel you bounce back faster than yeah. um, some um, other people you know with the same condition. Yeah, I think I have a little bit better resilience. Um, I, it's kind of hard to say which came first, the chicken or the egg with this, because um, I know I developed, I know I coming into it, I just had better resilience, more focus on the actual practice versus the end result. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know with people, like I said, with people who suffer from the disease, uh, a lot of times they're out, you know, they, um, they get it and they can't even do anything physical for a very long time. And so my, even me, so I've, I had to pause for a few months. I'm going back and it's hard. It's really difficult, mm -hmm. but I know that as I work through it, I'll be able to do more and more. Whereas if you're not doing something physical even, or something physical you love, you won't be as apt to try and fight that to get more mobility back. Right. And there's actually a, um, a special Olympic person, uh, I believe from the UK who has this disease too. And, mm -hmm. you know, she, she works through it. And unfortunately she gets hospitalized, can get hospitalized multiple times a week because even exercise can trigger the disease as well. Right. If you over exercise. Do you feel that um, through training and, and developing that connection to your body, as you were talking about with people who are, who are new to the art, um, do you feel that that's helped you kind of monitor what's going on inside you in the sense of like, you can kind of sense when, oh, something's a little off or I can feel a flare up coming on or, you know, whatever. There, of course, there's a whole list of things that our bodies can do with, that can make us feel like something in here is not going right. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I have, <laughs> I have a heads up as to what I will or will not react to very, very soon on. <laughs> uh, mm. So soon that most of the time the doctors don't believe you. And then you're like, okay, but I'm just telling you already, I can feel it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it would be funny because um, within like, I want to say a half hour, I could tell you if an antibiotic worked or not. Um, within a couple hours, I could tell you whether or not an herbal supplement was okay. 
And so it just that paying attention to your physical body and what's going on with it was actually what really keyed me into something being seriously wrong and what made me really push um, to get a second opinion. Mm. Mm. Let's take a few steps back and tell me about um, how you actually got into Ninpo Taijutsu and how long you've been training and what your rank <laughs> is and all that kind of cool stuff. How we well, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll go. I'll go even further back a little bit. The first time I ever did a martial art was actually in high school. Um, I joined my not husband at the time, uh, Kempo School, American Kempo School, and uh, I did martial arts at that school for about a year, and I really loved it. Um, I, I'd always kind of thought in my head that martial arts was like, oh, it's a guy thing. I don't know if I can do it. And the more I discovered, oh, I can do stuff, the more that I enjoyed it. Um, so way well after that, when my husband and I got married, uh, we, I felt like we moved into a, to L.A. and then kind of looked, started looking for a martial arts place in the way people look for a church. <laughs> yeah, We're like, we're here. All right. Where's the martial? What martial arts place do we want to go to? And uh, even before we found the um, Taijutsu school, we actually were going to do Kung Fu with this one gentleman, but he ended up moving back to uh, Northern California to go be with his sensei, who was getting close up there in age and close to passing mm -hmm. away. So I found the school online. <laughs> um, I found they had like kind of a kooky website. Oh, the website was horrible. <laughs> yes, it was. And I mean, I'm sorry, Jerry, if you're listening. <laughs> But it was, it was, uh, it was a thing of its era. <laughs> it was a thing of its era. Yes. <laughs> um, I remember the cute little dragon. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So we ended up going and, you know, it's funny. Um, when we did the trial, um, we went in, we, we came in in the morning, I think, and did the mm -hmm. trial. And I asked, I remember asking Cody at the time, I was like, so can we go as much as we want? during the trial and he was like yeah so we were like okay so we went in the morning and came back in the evening <laughs> and i we practiced in the middle of the day <laughs> we were practicing roles that whole time um and uh i just remember liking how kind of sneaky it was i liked how it wasn't straightforward and i kind of felt like as someone who's like five two and not a big person that there's no way I could do something like, you know, traditional karate, you know, in my head, and I know different now, but in my head, I felt, oh, there's no way I could ever do any of those straightforward martial arts. I gotta be sneaky if I'm gonna do anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And I love the complexity to it. I mean, not a lot of people do, but I, I love the complexity to it. I loved how specific it was and how it really kind of gave you a very good deep dive into how the human body worked. Right. Yeah. So um, that's kind of what clicked, I think, for us. And my husband's also not a very big person. So he's uh, definitely a more slim uh, dude and not like massively tall or anything. So both of us were kind of on the same wavelength when it came to style and also we had both done american kempo which is pretty straightforward mm -hmm. right <laughs> um so i think let's see i remember 
I don't remember the first time I met you, but there is one um, part in class that I remember doing with you and it had to do with the sword of Asians. And for whatever reason, I wouldn't move. You kept nailing me in the head with the sword and I just would not really? move. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I would just- I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I, I don't know if that was like my fight or flight response sitting there being like, no, I must stay still. Um, but especially when you were doing them from behind, I, I don't know why. And years later, I found out that's because I'm really sensitive with knowing if someone's behind me or not. And it would make me really uncomfortable, especially with sword evasions. And I, and you weren't there on my test, but I moved before they key-eyed every time. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I guess that's why I was like holding still. Cause I was like, no, no, I don't want, I don't want to like move oh, too you soon. Were, you were, you were second guessing your instinct to move. Yes, I was. And okay. you know, I think it's, I'm glad you said that because one thing when it came to martial arts that has really helped me is to not second guess that right. instinct that like whatever subconscious that goes on autopilot that does those things. I have learned that that is the thing you want. That is the thing you want to like have help you out. Right. And um, I have to say that it's definitely been there for me <laughs> multiple times. Right. Right. But yeah, yeah. that was the like first moment with you. That I remember. Oh, wow. Funny. Huh. Yeah. I don't remember. I'm unfortunately, I don't remember, but you know, I was at that school for a long time. I, there's probably were a lot. I don't remember. Um, <clears throat> luckily I still remember most of the moves. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the thing, things you practice again and again, that gets stuck in there, yeah, but like individual in stuff, it just depends. Yeah. Um, that one, I think it was just because it was so weird. Um, so I think that that's mainly why I was like, why did I not move? I didn't understand. Like, why was I not moving? Right. Um, but yeah, and I remember for the brief time when you were teaching the women's class that I got to be there. And that was like some of, I'll be honest with you, in like most of the years of training there, I've got some good stuff from it. But one of the, re some of the really good stuff I got was from your class. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and I think that's just because as a woman teaching other women, there was a level of understanding when it came to the experience that you just don't get from from people who don't share um, that experience in life, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that's actually, that's very true. Um, but the reason that I was teaching those classes, so for our listeners who don't know, <laughs> um, when I was training in Los Angeles, uh, I was the only woman for a long time. And then around the time that you joined, a bunch of other women joined as well, which was cool because I finally had some chicks <laughs> but at this time I had already reached my first level black belt um and what I noticed because because all martial arts schools you know and, and in in Studio City martial arts at that time as well for years all of the guys were like we need more women we need more women women never stay and there's always this idea of like you know women are intimidated by martial arts. We don't get it. They come, they stick around for a while and then they leave because they don't believe in themselves because, you know, they don't feel they're strong enough, but they, oh. they're so good and they don't see it. And, and it's, I mean, it's not just our school that I heard that at, you know, now that I've been out in the world and I've been training with other people, 
it's pretty universal in these male-dominated martial arts environments. And but what I noticed, and this is what drove me crazy. So for the well, <clears throat> to finish the one sentence before I start the next, the because I was the only woman for a long time, um, I was I can't say that I was treated like all of the guys because because that would be impossible and, and yeah. highly unlikely. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't given a white glove treatment. So I was definitely challenged. It was definitely like, you know, you have to be good at this and you have to go hard and you have to, um, you know, not hold back and all of these things. So I had really good training. By the time all of you guys joined, what I noticed that what I noticed was that um, our teachers got so excited to have all these women finally instead of just me, because I guess I'm not enough. No, I'm <laughs> yeah. more than enough. Um, they were so excited to have all these women that they suddenly changed the way that they approached teaching these women for fear, and, and you, one of the women, for fear of scaring all the women off. So I would notice that, you know, somebody would be if they were training with like, you know, Senpai Cody, for example, they would hit really hard. But if they were training with another woman or any one of the other guys, they would revert back to, you know, these kind of very limp strikes and not being sure of themselves. And I thought, you know, and I also saw that, you know, what, as people progressed in the art and started to gain some confidence in the techniques that we were learning, you know, you start to walk a little bit different on the mats and your gi, you know, like, yeah, and I know how to do a forward <laughs> roll. So it's okay if you push me from behind, I know how to fall, you know. And, but the minute they changed back into their street clothes, they went back to this, these postures of vulnerability and almost like hiding. And, and I thought, but this isn't, this is not fair. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not fair because they're not getting, they're paying the same money that I paid, you know, and, but they're getting different treatment and they're not getting the same education that I got. And that's really unfair because these guys think that they're, they're, you know, handling them with kid gloves in, in order to keep them and not understanding that that's not why any woman would be here. No, so, no, not at all. Right. So I asked to teach women's only classes because I was watching all you guys not getting the same education that I got. And it was making me really, really angry. So yeah. that's why I taught those classes. It was, it was like, you know, you can't, I mean, what's the point? What, it, what really is, what is the point of you being here in this martial arts school to what, learn how to punch one guy in one certain area when you're wearing certain clothes and feel yeah. comfortable doing that. That's not the, that's not the point. And I think, you know, I think that it was with the best of intentions, you know, on the, the part of the male instructors, but it was boneheaded, you know, and <laughs> our listeners can't see that Serena just rolled her eyes. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my head momentarily popped off there for a second. I had yeah, it was a good on. eye roll. Um, um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's so teaching that women's only class to me was, you know, it wasn't even like a feminist thing. It was just an it was just a 
justice thing. What I didn't know at that time is how much that actually does relate to a lot of things that women deal with in the sense of, you know, there's the female, what's called the female tax, I think. Um, the fact that like, if I buy, um, if I buy a pair of headphones, you know, like Bluetooth headphones where I can tune into a radio state, I don't, I don't really know how these things work. But, you know, the kind of headphones I can wear on the subway or walking down the street that's playing whatever music I like, MP3 headphone, whatever they are. Um, I'm paying, let's say I pay $150 for those, right? And a guy pays $150 for those. But I can only use those headphones when I feel safe. Yeah. That means that I can't wear them when I'm walking down the street if it's starting to get dark out. I can't wear them in certain neighborhoods. I can't wear them on the train outside of rush hour. You know, I, it's so basically I can only use these headphones 50% of the time, but I'm paying full price. Whereas this other guy is paying full price and gets to use them 100% of the time. And to me, there was a, that's that same relationship. You know, these women, you guys were paying the same amount of monthly fees at our school but you weren't getting the full education simply because you were women. Yeah, no, and I think that that, that even morphed into something else over time, which was uh, equally not great, um, which is again, like uh, something that, that I noticed, but not, not when I was a Q-level belt. I noticed more of this when I, um, when I became a black belt, when I became like an Oreo and above, um, was that when it came to how women had to do things in order to be respected equally with men, I could, I could do something the same way a guy does it, but I had to do it better every time. Like I had to get like, get it perfect every single time. And even then it was second guess. And that, that was very frustrating to me as a woman in martial arts, because right. not only did I have to do exactly the way that they did something, you know, I couldn't do it the way maybe I would have done it. Like as a woman for my frame, I have to do it the way they understand it or they want to do it, even though right. uh, different frame sizes are going to do it a little bit differently because of how, you know, you carry weight or, you know, mm -hmm. how your body moves. And I noticed as more women, kind of filled in under me that they were going through the same thing. You know, we were generally, not always, but generally more flexible. And mm -hmm. that would frustrate a lot of the guys because they mm -hmm. couldn't do locks perfectly. Well, because we were more flexible. It's a heck of a lot harder to do a lock on a flexible person. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but, you know, all these things that maybe were more valued were only valued because they were either hard for a dude to get or more guy related. And oh, that was very frustrating. That's <laughs> really interesting that they were only valued if they were difficult for the men mm -hmm. uh, to, to execute. That's fascinating. Fascinating because I was just listening to, um, to an earlier podcast episode of the Pretty Deadly podcast, because I was editing it. Um, and I made a comment about how uh, the how do I say it? Um, I made a comment about the barrier that so many people have about learning things from women. 
Mm. And I think that there's a relationship there. And in a sense, and I remember when I made the comment about, because, you know, listeners, we record these episodes in advance. But, <laughs> but I, so I remember a couple of months back when I was um, doing this particular episode that I was going through a period of suddenly realizing that, that there were a lot of people who had a really, men, but also women, who had a really hard time recognizing my authority on a certain subject, you know, especially, yeah. in, especially in the realm of martial arts. And by authority, I don't mean like, you know, you have to do what I say, but, you know, my knowledge, my experience, my experience, wisdom, yep. my education, you know, basically all of my qualifications. And it is that old, like, you know, I have the same PhD as this other guy. We have absolutely parallel career tracks and education tracks. And yet his, his voice carries more weight than my voice does. Oh, yes. I see that happen very intimately because my, for, for those of you who do not know, my husband also does martial arts. Um, so when it comes to people asking questions or wanting to go to, it's not necessarily me. They'll go to him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's such a fascinating thing. And for me, because there is no man in my life, you know, on any realm, really. So there's no man to default to. Mm -hmm. which I found people get really frustrated about. Oh, you know, there's, interesting. There's nobody else to ask. So it's like I'm, I'm the final word, and that really, really irritates some people. Oh. You know? And again, it's not just men. It's also women who, you know, because we're all socialized this way. You know, men have the authority of wisdom, of education, of decision-making, of this, that, and the other thing. We're so used to defaulting to it. You know, and we are so used to second guessing women. Oh, you know, you said this. It makes a lot of sense. Let me just go check. You yes. Know, no, I totally see that. Me, let me Google this information and, and, or let me check it on Wikipedia, for example, which is mostly run by guys. You know, so as long as the information is, is supported by male provided information, then yeah, okay, I'll believe you. But still you're not the final authority. I still have to find a male voice to consult. So it's, but the idea of not recognizing a technique as being difficult, unless it's also difficult for a man, man. is a really, really fascinating thing. Right now I'm having a reverse experience um, at our dojo here in Berlin. We are mostly women. And as you say, women tend to be more flexible. Mm -hmm. We have our one very, very lovely, very wonderful, who will be taking his belt test tomorrow. Oh. By the time this episode airs, he will hopefully have passed his first belt test. But we have our one guy, Eric. And we have other guys drop in from time to time to try it out and see if they want to stick around. And I've been wondering, are you not sticking around because you don't like learning from a woman? as the final authority, you know, there's no one else you can go like confirm things with. But what I've noticed is that all of these guys are really stiff, especially ah. in their backs. They're all super stiff in their backs. And I think, wow, that's fascinating because somebody dropped by and said um, that they couldn't really see what the point of ninjutsu was or ninpo taijutsu. Um, 
they weren't really learning anything particularly difficult for them. That happened to be a very supple person. So we were learning some roles and for them doing the roles was quite easy. But uh-huh. for most men doing the roles is, are really hard to learn because especially a back roll because their backs oh, are so yeah. stiff. Yep. They won't curve, you know? And I thought, wow, that's, that's, that's really fascinating because maybe it's easy for you to punch. And it's not so easy for a woman to punch. She has to learn something that, you know, she hasn't grown up doing. So she doesn't have a lifetime of experience, you know, just punching people. And hopefully men don't either. You know, yeah. Nonetheless. <laughs> so it's a, at least it's, not correctly. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So it's, but yeah, it's really, that's a really interesting subject. Well, I also found in general, people who got something really quickly, male or female, didn't like end up staying. If they picked mm-hmm. it up too fast, then uh, they didn't stay. There wasn't enough of that push for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you kind of push, if you really push them or made them see that, that it was more complex than mm-hmm. what they were trying to break it down into, they were more apt to stay. But I, I did notice that with men as well, who wouldn't, uh, both men and women wouldn't stay if they got it too quickly. Huh. Um, so I, you know, I think that that's really fascinating. You know, I, um, you know, martial arts is, is really interesting in that you don't, uh, you don't really, you get to see the dynamic of men and women like so close up. I would love to have a martial arts school with more trans people. I'd love to have martial arts school with gay people, you know, because that really switches things up energetically amongst Mm -hmm. it. It really starts to challenge those mental ideas of where where you think things should be, you know? Yeah. 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 I agree with you. Mm -hmm. I think that that would be really fabulous. Hopefully that will come in time. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about being a part of Pretty Deadly just because it's the Pretty Deadly podcast. <laughs> like it would be remiss if we didn't. Have to <laughs> we didn't. You had you were showing interest in learning how to teach Pretty Deadly actually before I introduced the trainers program and the coaching program. Remember we did that Periscope thing. I did. I think I it's did. still there on Periscope. I did. I, I, I downloaded it and saved it for like future use to watch again, you know, oh, just to cool. remind me of what the longer <laughs> classes are like. It's rough guys when you live like countries apart. <laughs> yeah. It's a little rough. What, um, what, where is your angle of interest in that? So you're now a certified pretty deadly coach. You and Shelby and Marylise, whose name I've been pronouncing wrong for like ever, and she corrected me recently, but I'm still probably doing it wrong. Um, the all have an advantage in that we come from the same, basically the same school of training. So you guys are more familiar with a lot of these techniques and movements, and also the way of teaching them, because in a lot of ways, I'm teaching in a in the way that I was taught, only of course with a more sort of feminine twist to it Mm -hmm. but what was the what so I mean in a sense you don't actually need me you don't really need pretty deadly in a lot of ways so what what drew you to it I would I would disagree with that actually um I would disagree with it because something that you did with the program that is extraordinarily needed if you're going to show this to maybe a broader group of people who aren't 
all that into martial arts or don't even think they can do martial arts is the accessibility and how you're explaining things. Um, that's really important. And yes, maybe I could have taken the time to develop a program all on my own or something like that, but why when you've done such a better job? <laughs> like why would I? Um, uh, I think that my main interest with it is that having done martial arts for a long time, um, let's see, I think this particular martial art for 13 years and I've done multiple styles now, um, is that I wanted some way to work with my own community, like my local city, you know, and the people in it who don't feel safe right now. And maybe this is where the politics will start coming into play. But a lot of us, especially after the last election, did not feel safe anymore. And we saw some things like I, I saw a guy, you know, call my neighbor, you know, the N word and then give me the thumbs up you know, oh, was white. Mentioning that. Yeah. yeah um, I've seen other things since then uh, that scares me. And I have friends who I want to be safe. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to give them something to make them safe. I can't be there for them all the time, especially now with COVID. I can barely be around them. You know, um, if there's something that I have that I've spent time learning in this martial arts for myself that I can give to someone else, that's amazing, you know, because not everybody's going to want to spend 13, a decade, you know, a couple decades learning a martial art. And some of us, like some of these guys, they need it now. They really do. And um, it's very urgent, especially with a lot of the violence that's going on over here. Um, and to be able to give that to my community, you know, the place that I enjoy living, to give it to my neighbor, to sit there and, and kind of teach them some things so that they can feel like they have something in their pocket should 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 they be in that situation mm -hmm. is a gift. It really is. And so when I saw the program, I knew instantly I was like, I really want to learn this. I do mm -hmm. because um, I've been struggling to figure out how do I give back to my community in this way. And it's not always through teaching someone for years, sometimes it's just teaching someone for a few months, you know? Mm -hmm. And also for me personally, I have to say that um, when it comes to martial arts, thankfully I haven't gotten into too many confrontations, but the things I've ended up using the most actually, believe it or not, Susie, was um, <laughs> rolls and break falls. <laughs> Those you end up using everywhere. And um, so when it came to like martial arts, I see, especially this art, I see a lot of people try to put practical stuff in the beginning mm -hmm. and I just don't see it taught as well, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't see it taught as well to the group of people that I know need it even more right. than, you know, white men uh, who can, you know, uh, kind of force their way through something, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's a, it's, the practicality thing is an interesting thing. The I've never used rolls or break falls <laughs> outside of the dojo. I just don't fall down that much. Oh, but, dude, I've used them a lot. <laughs> but I, well, I've used a lot of. Um, I have used the the martial art in my real in my daily life to protect myself in situations. Never physically. I've never physically had to use it. The 
elements of the art that I've used is some of the philosophy and the, the theory. You know, there was a time, a really long time ago, now, it's not that long, oh my God, it was in 2004, but it, yeah, <laughs> all right, 16 years, but. Yeah, feels long enough. <laughs> feels long enough. Um, when I had an incident, I was traveling with my mom in Paris and we were, it, neither my mother nor I had very good orientation skills. Mm -hmm. That's a really kind way of putting it. We were constantly <laughs> going in the wrong direction. We were constantly lost. It's amazing we ever got anywhere. Um, we were walking through a part of Paris that I didn't know. I didn't live there then, so I didn't really know the city that well. And we were walking down a dark street, not the one we were supposed to be on, um, trying to find a restaurant where we were going to meet up with some of my friends. And it was dangerous. And there was a group of guys. We felt, you know, you feel that in the air, like something's off. Um, there was a group of guys up ahead. You know, obviously they were looking for trouble. You know, they looked like little gangbangers. And my mom, because it was Paris, my mom was like wearing earrings and, you know, she was all dressed uh, up uh -huh. and you know, like glittering in the streetlights, basically. And I was thinking, oh, my God, we're in trouble. These guys are going to give us they're going to try and mug us. And because they can tell we're tourists. I mean, it's really obvious. And I've only been training martial arts for four years at this point. How am I going to protect my mother and myself? Because I don't really know how. And also, she's totally going to get in the way. You know, she's going to cause more trouble than, than help. How am I going to handle this? I really don't know. But at that time in the dojo, we happened to be focused on, um, we happened to be focused on how to defend against a group. And Sensei Minge was, was giving us a lot of information about how to identify the leader of a group and how to handle these types of situations. So it was really, you know, coincidental that I happened to, this was fresh in my mind. That's what I used, that information and some of the stories that I heard of other people, you know, and how they've used some of the principles of martial arts to keep us safe. And it worked yeah. beautifully. That moment taught me that I think I was just starting to learn the sword then. Um, that moment taught me that I wanted to learn how to carry a sword without carrying a sword, mm -hmm. how to use the sword without having a sword with me. That kind of became the focus of my training and a very, I've never admitted that to anybody on a, on a very personal level. Um, so those are the kinds of things that I've used, you know, when I'm in a, in a bar or a hotel or I'm traveling around and somebody's, you know, whether they're just hitting on me or they're threatening me or whatever, I've never, ever had to use the physical That's aspects physical. of the art, mm -hmm. but I've, but I have used these more philosophies and theories and approaches. And, you know, the longer I've been in my training, the more it becomes like more and more focused on now I'm, you know, working with the spirit of the sword, which sounds super mythological and legendary. And I kind of hate all that crap, but it's more um, like a mental space you kind of get into. And that's yeah. interesting that you say that because I haven't, I, I have, honestly, I really have not had too many physical confrontations. I, and I always joke that it's because I have resting angry face. Um, but I, Don't. I'm angry all the time. <laughs> like I, I just give off this aura of leave me alone. Um, so 
I, maybe that's why I end up using break falls more. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm really clumsy as a person. I just feel martial arts kind of counteracts it. So I just, you know, roll or break fall when mm-hmm. I bump into something. Um, but, uh, I think that maybe there's some aspect to that, that I definitely, uh, can relate to where you're dealing with something and you're kind of deciding in that moment, all right, I'm going to deal with whatever's going to happen, you know? Um, and that changes the dynamic radically because you're not, you're not a victim. You're not the aggressor. You're just kind of neutralized the whole situation well, you're, you're interestingly, you're interestingly um, open and you're interestingly present, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's something that um, a lot of people don't understand about martial arts and, and also self-defense, because that's something that I focus on in Pretty Deadly as well, or we focus on, excuse me, in Pretty Deadly as well. Um, there's a lot of mindfulness that is, yeah. that is part of the practice. And the practice, of course, also increases mindfulness and the ability to be present in a moment, it, which, is, which is really beneficial. And you're right, it, tra- it changes everything. You know, it really I mean, does. I can only imagine if you're, I'm not the kind of person who like mugs people. Yeah. But if I were to put myself in one of those person's shoes, I can only imagine if I confront someone and they kind of turn and they're like fully present. I'd be like, yeah. oh no, oh no, what <laughs> oh shit, oh, oh shit, one person, let um, me just back away. <laughs> I I have a very, <laughs> very funny story about that. Um, everyone's gonna get a kick out of this because it deals with dogs, not people. Mm-hmm. And um, so I have two dogs. Um, I love them to bits, and I've had I've I've had dogs for a long time. These aren't my first two dogs, but. Um, I worked with a trainer who I like to, to say was like the Zen of dog trainers. Um, it was about being present. It was about watching like what the dogs were doing. And so we obviously take our dogs for a walk and our dogs were a little bit younger then. And as we're going on this walk at night, um, most people of you, most of you guys who have dogs will know this. If you're out for a walk, the fact that you might have a dog come up to you or, you know, just randomly out of a house is very common, extremely Mm -hmm. common. So we're out walking. All of a sudden I hear this like dog barking, tear out of this house, like this little dachshund tears out of this house, like ready to throw a fight. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I were with our dogs and we just went, we just went quiet and present and our dogs mimicked us. And that little dachshund was like, and just stopped and was like, what's going on? <laughs> like you guys aren't responding to me. And the owner came out of the house and was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. He was able to pick up his dog. His dog was still sitting there, like trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Um, no confrontation, not at right. all, you know? Right. And the fact that our dogs who we've raised since pumpy puppies just mimicked our body language. Mm-hmm. It was like totally broke the whole idea that this dog had in his head as to what was about to go down. Right. Um, but I, and it's funny cause I know I'm using dogs, but I feel like that carries over to people too. Mm-hmm. You know, you turn that thing on that presence, that being there and just watching, like we're not judging. We weren't, too, we're just watching to see what he was going to do, mm-hmm. you know, before freaking out about it or before taking any kind of action. And, um, 
it was just phenomenal to watch a dog who doesn't like have a human filter thoughts on it react to that body language. Right. Um, but right. But I, but I was thinking, I think I was telling, um, I don't know who it was, maybe Aaron Riley, who was also in the, in this podcast that for me, you know, training martial arts is not about training how to react in a situation it's training not to, it's training ourselves mm -hmm. to not react yeah you know to stay present and wait and see you know and but that is something that comes with training i mean that's not something that you're going to get in a couple of hours or even a couple of months that's the that's no, like that's a lifelong thing <laughs> yeah that's yeah. when you when martial arts resonates with you and you realize that this is a path that you want to take that's where you're going yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting because obviously you do that with people and I've done it with dogs multiple times. We've had incidences where the dog tried to attack my dog, but we waited. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I put some trust in my dog and she actually took care of the problem. Um, mm -hmm. So it changes your relationship with everything because instead of reacting, right, instead of like mm -hmm. honestly getting on somebody or getting on people about something, you're watching, mm -hmm. you're waiting to see what actually happens. Cause we have these ideas that kind of like swim in our head about what, how everything is, you know, like. Right, and how everything should be. Do you think that there are any negative sides to that? Um, to the aspect of watching what happens or to like um, martial arts in general? <laughs> <laughs> there are negative sides to martial sides arts. To <laughs> um, no, to the aspect of watching and waiting that in not hmm. reacting right away you know um i haven't seen one yet because the type of mind space that you're in your body will actually move or react for you a lot of times you know i like it's interesting how we talk um in martial arts how people talk about oh you're training you know to react or you're training to do something but you're just training for the possibility to do something. And then your subconscious will decide what that something is. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I've had moments where I've caught things or done things before I've even consciously been aware of doing them because that mind space allows you that subconscious part of your brain to decide what to do a lot right. of times. So it's not really your conscious part. In most cases, that's going, okay, this is how I'm going to handle this. Or mm -hmm. this is how I'm going to take the wheel. And if you're worried about, oh, well, maybe you're not going to react quick enough, I can tell you that's not true. Mm -hmm. Because I've done stuff before knowing that I've done it. And I knew, like, I could, it's a feeling to me when I go in that space. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't seen an issue with it i've only seen positive things with it of course mm -hmm. i'm not a zen master i'm not in that mind space all the time <laughs> so i don't know what it would be like um but uh personally i haven't mm -hmm. yeah i love those um those crouching tiger moments when you catch stuff <laughs> yeah. you know and then you're like oh i just caught the oh. ooh, ooh. <laughs> ninja skills that Amazing. that training paid off right now. Yeah, <laughs> broken plate. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that happens to me frequently. Not frequently, frequently, but enough where I can at least really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, there's one thing I do want to say about having a chronic illness and that aspect. 
Mm -hmm. um, and the different perspective that you have. Um, a lot of times when you get a chronic illness, it's, it's, it has a lot to do with losing things, to be honest with you. You lose a lot, so much over time. But one thing that I noticed was that that training, I, I, regardless of how sick I am, how fatigued my muscles are, how messed up my body is, it's still there. And there have been moments where I've done stuff, even though I felt awful, even though I felt like I couldn't do anything, just out of instinct, your body kind of does it. And um, I would love to know what that is, <laughs> but it, it kind of speaks to the fact that even if you have a severe illness, it doesn't take away from you, you know? It mm. seems like it's tearing stuff down around you, but that part of you is still there, you know? You're just going through a different experience. And I wanna say that martial arts has allowed me that level of hope and insight where I know so many people with my disease don't have that. They just don't because it's all about taking things away. I don't have a chronic illness, so this was something I really didn't know, but it's so obviously true. I do know loss, though, and I can second what Serena so beautifully observes, that this part of you is still there, that the training or the thing you've loved so much, it's become a part of you, whatever it is, never gets lost. Excuse me, it's suddenly very dusty in here. You can find out more about Serena on the Pretty Deadly team page on our website, and you can check out her short films and video projects at her production site, ulyssesproductions.com. That's with an X, U-L-I-X-E-S productions.com. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Collick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week. <laughs>